Al Jazeera podcast. Germany unveils its first national security strategy. Berlin argues geopolitical events have triggered this move. But why now? And how is it being seen in Europe and beyond? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. Ulrich Bruckner is the Jean Monnet Professor for European Studies at Stanford University in Berlin. He's there today and with us now. In Vienna, Wolfgang Pustai, a senior advisor with the Austrian Institute for European and Security Policy. And across the Atlantic, Jorn Fleck is a senior director with the Atlantic Council's Europe Center. He's with us from Washington, D.C. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Ulrich, let me start with you today. How big of a turning point is all this for Germany, and how is this new national security strategy being seen in Europe and beyond? Well, it's the very first one. So in that respect, it is a turning point. It remains to be seen if it actually turns something. But it has been announced in the coalition agreement when the new government came into power. They announced a plan what they are doing in the next four years. And this was part of it. It was announced for autumn. It was announced later. And now we had to wait for a whole year until it finally came into being with a big gesture in which the chancellor came together with the four heavyweights of his cabinet to highlight that this is a rather holistic approach and something that is not like strictly focusing on defense. But it remains to be seen if it turns Germany into a more active player, because in the past there wasn't much appetite for leadership by the German government and by the German public. Uh, Wolfgang, I guess the unprecedented, unprecedented nature of this national security strategy really makes clear just how much the war in Ukraine has altered Germany's view when it comes to overall security, doesn't it? Actually, it's certainly a remarkable document, but as just mentioned before, they started working on it already before. But of course, it was heavily influenced by the developments in Ukraine and also by the other global developments. Uh, it needs to be seen if it's really a remarkable, influential document. It needs to be seen if it does not just remain ink on the paper. And let me also stress, this document has also some shortfalls. It's not very precise in several key areas. But altogether, I fully agree, it's a major leap forward for Germany and for Germany as a key member of Europe, the European Union and of NATO. Jorn, from your vantage point, how does this change things now? Uh, Germany has this national security strategy. So what will the country be able to do now that it wasn't already doing as a result? Well, I think we should remember the purpose of these type of strategy documents. If you look at U the U.S. national security strategy uh, or, or British or French counterparts, I don't think these documents should be taken as, as the... Uh, the, the silver bullet as the solution to everything with the with the stroke of one pen. We should keep that in mind. I think on balance, the new German national security is a net positive for Germany, for its allies, and for Berlin's role in NATO and the European Union. Yes, there are shortcomings, uh, a lack of urgency, ambition, and clarity on, on some key points. Uh, the follow-through, the operationalization, the budgetary side of things. Uh, uh, Wolfgang already alluded to some of this, but I do think this strategy is one important step, a step away from three decades of German carefreeness, care 
helplessness, some people would say, on strategic matters and security matters, and a step toward defining German interests, security-proofing German decision-making, and building up a more robust and forward-looking strategic culture in Germany. One small but important step towards that goal. So, Ulrich, one of the more interesting omissions in all of this is that there is no national security council uh, that will be going along with this national security strategy. I want to ask you, from, from your point of view, why? why? Why was a national security council not created as well? Well, this is a specificity of the German political system. We came from a highly centralized history with Nazi Germany being fully centralizing power in the hand of the Führer and the NSDAP. And ever since Germany decentralized and the federalization of the Federal Republic actually meant decentralizing power, not only from the national level to the lender, like the regions, but also a separation of power in the cabinet. So the chancellor, as the most powerful position in the political system, is not steering everything. He defines the guidelines in which direction we are heading. But foreign policy, strategy planning, happens in the portfolio of the foreign minister, which in a coalition government is normally not the portfolio of someone from the party of the chancellor, but the junior partner. Today, it is the Green Party. And there was a lot of struggle within the coalition whether it's good to have a steering institution that would then be chaired by the chancellery or whether we keep it as it is. And in the end, the Green Party succeeded. Jorn, it looked to me like you were reacting to some of what Ulrich was saying there. Did you want to jump in? I, I think there are historical reasons for, for this decision, but I think in this particular case, the political dynamics in a three-way, in a complex and difficult three-way coalition are probably the more decisive factor. I think on the one hand, there's the chancellery and Chancellor Schultz that wanted to preserve maximum freedom of maneuver, freedom of action on, on key foreign policy items, foreign and, and security policy uh, issues. And then there is, uh, then there was the the Foreign Office, and specifically the Green Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock, who who wanted to not give away even more uh, of of the uh, foreign policy decision making to the Chancellery away from the Foreign Office. I think that's a key factor. It's a real miss uh, and missed opportunity not to have a more cross cutting, coordinating permanent body uh, like a National Security Council in the German system that is heavily fragmented, especially when you're talking about and when your goal is that policy of, an in, of integrated security that runs through the national security strategy. Mm. If, you want to, if you want a whole of government approach, then you also need to figure out ways of institutionalizing and operationalizing that. Mm. And that's a missed opportunity here. Wolfgang, let me get your take on all this. Uh, from your standpoint, do you think that the creation of a National Security Council would, would help implement the vision laid out by the strategy? And also, from your point of view, what are the potential foreign policy consequences of all this? Well, I can only agree that this is certainly a shortfall, that there is no National Security Council. 
on the other side, I understand the domestic constraints in Germany of domestic policies. Nevertheless, as said by my two colleagues, day-by-day -day coordination of German's foreign security policy will be much more difficult, much more challenging. It will be much less flexible. And especially if there is a requirement for crisis reaction on day-by-day -day coordination for crisis uh, reaction, this is certainly more challenging if there is no national security council available. Of course, they could create some ad hoc structures, but as with every ad hoc structure, uh, it, it's it's uh, not perfect if, uh, in, in comparison with someone with a permanent institution, no doubt about it. With regard to the international impact of this strategy, it's a message. It is a message to the fellow Europeans that Germany wants to take its role as a major, or as, let's say, as the main European economic power and as a main European political leader more serious and realizes also its responsibility uh, on the security sector. On the other side, it's also a message to the world, because Germany also states in this paper that they have realized that they have a global responsibility. This is not only about mentioning China as a partner, competitor, and as a systemic rival, as they call it. It's also about Germany as a global actor with a global responsibility. And they stress once again, in careful wording, that Germany is prepared to serve as a permanent member of the Security Council in the course of a comprehensive reform of the Security Council. So Germany also wants to get on the global stage. Ulrich, uh, you heard Wolfgang there uh, talk about uh, China and, and China's role in, in, all, in all of this. Um, I want to ask you, you know, in this national security strategy, Germany is saying that China poses a growing threat to global security. Um, from your point of view, was this a surprise, considering the fact that China is Germany's top trading partner? I mean, the document doesn't say, uh, still says that China is a partner, a competitor, and a rival. But, but how big of a shift is this, this language that we're seeing now? I think it is a shift, and I think this matters more than the nitty-gritties of institutional innovations, because this is a first step in a direction of redefining Germany's role. And it's not like everything is put into this document and then we know for the next 10 years what is happening. It's more a signal to get everyone on board outside Germany and also addressing the public that we have to redefine our role. And part of the redefinition is that we have to give up our lifelines. The one lifeline was we can rely on cheap energy imports from Russia. The other lifeline is we can rely on cheap products that we outsource to China and continue with the separation of, well, we don't like your human rights record and we don't really see what's happening in the Pacific because we are not directly involved, but we hear from the United States that we should do more, but we keep everything separate. This is not working anymore. And this is a signal in the direction that we are recalibrating our relationship with China, but it will be the beginning of a longer process in which Germany defines a China strategy, and then the China strategy will also be part of a European China strategy. Mm. So this will be the most important change. Uh, Jorn, I can see that you want to jump in, but before I let you do that, I also want to ask you uh, the fact that the German government is also preparing a specific strategy regarding China. Chancellor Schultz declined to say when that might be published or released. Um, let me ask you, when do you think that might be ready and what do you think that might include? So given the delays of this national security strategy, I don't want to necessarily try to predict when the China strategy might follow. Uh, and and as, as Ulrich has already alluded to, 
this will be a, a difficult uh, process in this three-way coalition where um, some are trying to balance the economic interests and the slow shift of de-risking the economic relationship between Germany and, and China on the one hand, and a much more hawkish stance vis-a-vis -vis Beijing on the other side. I would say, uh, I would underline what, what Ulrich said, that um, I think there's actually, some have criticized the strategy for only half a dozen mentions of China. I think we should, when you, when you read the strategy, much like many other European strategy documents or conversations about China, uh, not everything about China always says China on it. I think if you look at the resilience chapter, there's a lot of talk on, on technology dependence, on innovation, on critical minerals, on cyber, on supply chains, and so on, that are all in one or another way related to China and vulnerabilities and dependencies that Germany has to address. So, and, and then there's also the endorsement of the de-risking approach by the European Commission, by President Ursula von der Leyen, mm. and, and, a, and a reference to wider Europe. So it's too simple to simply do control F China. And, you know, that's intellectually a little bit lazy and doesn't reflect the shift on China in the strategy and in German thinking. But that will be a process. It will be a longer process, as Ulrich said. Wolfgang, I, I saw you shaking your head along to, um, uh, well, nodding along, rather, to, to some of what uh, uh, Jorn was saying there. So go ahead and jump in. Yes, actually, I agree with him. One must not forget such a public strategy, strategy document is also a message to your partners, to your opponents, and to your, keeping China in mind, systemic rivals. And Germany obviously doesn't want to jump into the face of China, but it wants to be a predictable actor for its partners, for its opponents, and also for China. They want China to realize that they are considering that they are aware that China is, let's say it more carefully, a challenge for Germany. And they, they are aware that they need to do something about it. And what I think is a very important issue, that they are about uh, talking about diversifying the resources. This is certainly necessary for Germany and for the whole of Europe. And I would say, with regard to this, in most areas, Germany leads the way. Let's keep uh, in mind what happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. When in Europe, we had quite a lot of problems with medication and with other issues. And now it's crystal clear that Germany has realized this and that they are also willing to take somehow a leading role. And let me stress and underline, this is not only important for Europe, this is also important for the wider European region and mm. also for other areas like Africa and the Pacific. Uh, Ulrich, I want to talk again about China for a couple of minutes. Uh, we heard earlier in Katya's report that critics say that Germany's reliance on Russian energy exports left it vulnerable to political pressure from Moscow. Um, these are issues that perhaps didn't seem crucial to Berlin a few years ago, but they're now seen as potential problems going forward. How problematic could this be for Germany going forward? Well, in the past, Germany and the European Union were kind of independent in formulating a strategy with other partners. Now, with the war in Ukraine, the balances change. And a lot of observers believe that the relationship between the United States and the European Union will change in favor of the United States or have changed already. And the same will happen between Russia and China, that China will dominate Russia. And in that situation, both junior partners will be pushed to take sides and to readjust the relationship. 
In the case of Germany, we are in a different situation than many other EU member states because our big economic companies like the chemistry giant BASF or the big car manufacturers are so heavily invested in China that a decoupling would harm the German economy as China saved us in the financial crisis when there was such a demand for luxury cars that it helped us to maneuver out of the crisis with less harm than those who were less engaged in China. Wolfgang, look to me just now like you wanted to jump in, so go ahead. Well, uh, with regard to China, said before, it's necessary for Germany and for Europe to be very careful. Uh, it is important not to alienate uh, China because it is needed, as it is also stressed in the strategy, as a partner for solving some global issues. Ch uh, China is necessary as a partner for containing climate change. It is necessary as a partner for Africa, for a strategy on Africa. It is necessary also for containing migration, as China has a huge influence in Africa, and as some people say, it's ruining the countries down there. Wolfgang, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but while you're on that thought, let me just ask you, you know, we know that uh, the German government is, is about to sit down in, a, I think, a few days' time with uh, senior Chinese officials. Uh, this is, meetings are going to be happening in Berlin. Uh, obviously, these meetings are going to be touching on, you know, very sensitive issues. H how is Germany going to navigate all this? They need to be extremely careful and they need to be aware of their strategic interests. And this is perfectly outlined in this national security strategy. It is certainly necessary to find some kind of compromises. It's on the other side also necessary to uh, pressure China with regards to some issues of global interest, especially mm. with regard to climate change. We are debating and discussing in Europe about containing uh, our air pollution and so on, forgetting that China is one of the most important countries uh, with regard to air pollution. So it is, it is really a difficult question. And on the other side, keeping the Taiwan question in mind, it is necessary uh, to keep to prevent a war between China and Taiwan, because this mm. would have a disastrous mm. impact also on the European economy keeping in mind the, the production of uh, various electronic pieces in, in Taiwan. So it's really a difficult issue, and it's important that China, that China is aware through this strategy that Germany has realized the problems, that mm. Germany is aware that something needs to be done about it. Uh, Jorn, what does all this mean when it comes to European security cooperation with the U.S.? Uh, does this mean that Germany is going to be taking the, the lead in all this going forward? Again, I, I think, as, as, as you say in German, der Weg ist das Ziel, the journey is the reward. Having mobilized the whole of government discussion on this in order to build up that more robust strategic culture in order to drive forward what I would call mentale Zeitenwende, so the mental Zeitenwende, that mental shift in German strategic thinking is an important step in the strategy. There's a real commitment on, on in this document to transatlantic security and defense, to a greater role, more responsibility on the German side, the, the, the uh, commitment to the 2% defense spending NATO goal, albeit on, on a multi-year average. We can talk about that uh, perhaps a little more. Uh, commitment to the eastern flank, defense of the eastern flank of NATO in Central and Eastern Europe. Commitments to nuclear sharing. Now, these are commitments that I think the United States expects of Germany in any case. But it is important to send the signal from Berlin that, okay, we have understood and we have understood that our key allies are expecting a greater role from us. The key point now becomes, how do you operationalize this? How do you underpin this in terms of budgets? And how do you implement and drive this forward? 
both on the operational side and the strategic culture side. Uh, Ulrich, uh, Jorn just uh, brought up uh, Germany's NATO commitments. Um, from your vantage point, how does Germany see its role in NATO and within Europe going forward? Well, this is an interesting question and very hard to answer because I don't see the operational side as the major stumbling stone. I see public opinion as a bigger problem because we have lived this illusion for so many years that we can count on a peace dividend when the Cold War was over and now we focus on reforming our welfare state and addressing climate change and demography problems and whatsoever. And suddenly we wake up with war in Europe and we have to respond to it. And the third lifeline might also be that we count on cheap security provided by whoever is in the White House. And this is a very optimistic scenario. So we have to bring a lot to the table and informing the German public that Germany should take a leading role and declares its independence from what used to be very convenient and take a leadership role and do painful things has not sunken in in public opinion. So you probably get a lot of support if you just announce that we do more and we take responsibility. But when it comes to the practical implications, and we have seen this with every single step of a reform process that the new government has announced since last year, the appetite for more or dealing with the consequences or who wins and who loses in this faces very harsh opposition by not only the opposition parties, but also by public opinion. So it remains to be seen how far a government can actually go with a new strategy. Uh, Ulrich, we don't have a lot of time left, but let me just ask you, uh, the security strategy also addresses things like strengthening society to face uh, issues like cyber threats and, and climate change. But does it get into specifics? Does it say how these challenges will be faced or dealt with? Well, as we said in the beginning, this is just a first step and a holistic approach that addresses more than just the pure military or narrow security questions. This is important for the identity of the Green Party to think things in a holistic way. But at the end of the day, it's also a financial question. And that was pretty vague, what we got from the Minister of Finance. So it remains to be seen if we find enough resources. Uh, Jorn, uh, we just have about a minute and a half left. Um, I want to ask you about the fact that analysts have noted that this strategy does not prioritize which threats possibly to fight, uh, and they say that it doesn't contain many surprises. Uh, what do you say? Does it need to be more specific going forward? I think there's not a whole lot of strategy in the strategy, meaning how do you plan for it, plan ahead on how you achieve what ends with which means? That's not very concrete. That's often a dilemma of many of these national security strategies, though. But I do think they missed an opportunity to describe and lay out a way forward and, and a way ahead on follow through. That's that's a missed opportunity. Um, and then the institutionalization we already mentioned. And lastly, a review mechanism. Make the next government also look at a national security strategy and build that into this mm. one, the first one ever. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Ulrich Bruckner, Wolfgang Pustai, and Jorn Fleck.
This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Katya Lopez-Hodoyan, Ben Clark, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Deepak Pushkaran. The program was edited by Alexander Otashevich, Linda Wynn, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next episode. This week on The Take, former U.S. President Donald Trump has been indicted and arraigned. But what will it mean for his presidential campaign? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.